When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you so, so much for listening. I'm flying solo for today's episode, which is to review our friendly match against Adana Demirspor on Wednesday. I will do that in two parts. In part one, I'll focus on Napoli's new players and some of the guys competing for a place in the squad. And in part two, I'll talk about some more general topics like Napoli's new shirts, the prices fans had to pay to watch this game both live and online, Mario Balotelli's post-match comments, and much, much more. So let's get right into it. We welcomed a few familiar faces to the Stadio Teofilo Patini in Castel di Sangro. Adana coach Vincenzo Montella is a former teammate and player for Luciano Spalletti. Of course, midfielder Gohan Inler is a former Napoli player. He played four seasons for Napoli from 2011 to 2015. And we got to see ex-Italy international Super Mario Balotelli. The match finished 2-2. After a scoreless first half, Chucky Lozano opened the scoring in the 55th minute, assisted by Javicha Kvareschelia. Adana scored the next two, both from the spot. Balotelli scored the equalizer in the 75th minute, and Yusuf Sarai put Adana ahead in the 87th minute. It seemed like the match would end 2-1, but Napoli equalized in stoppage time. Lozano's shot rattled off a couple of players and ended up in the back of the goal. The final touch came off of Ismail Kokalis, so he was given an own goal. This was a match where Luciano Spalletti did not necessarily start his best 11. After the match, he talked about how this was more of a training session for us. It was an opportunity to assess guys like Leo Ostegaard, Gianluca Gaetano, Giuseppe Ambrosino, Matias Oliveira, and Alessio Zerbin. It was also an opportunity to showcase our new home shirt, which was released on Wednesday morning, and it was a match that was not free to watch, at least not legally. We'll cover all of that in this review, but first let's get to the starting lineups. Luciano Spalletti lined up in a 4-3-3 once again with Alex Meret in goal. Amir Rachmani and Leo Ostegaard played at centre-back. Mario Rui started at left-back and Giovanni Di Lorenzo started at right-back. Diego Deme played as the regista with Gianluca Gaetano to his left and Andre Frank Zambo and Gisa to his right. Eli Felmes started on the left wing, Matteo Politano started on the right wing, and Victor Osimen played at striker. For Adana Demirspor, Montella lined up in a 4-2-3-1 with Ertak Ozbir in goal. Tayyip Sanuch and Samet Akhaiden played at centre-back. Kevin Rodriguez started at left-back and Jonas Venson played at right-back. Gohaninler and Badun Diay played in the double pivot. 
Henry Onyekuru played on the left wing. He's actually a teammate of Victor Osman on the Nigeria national team, so they were happy to see each other. Younes Belhanda played on the right wing. Babaide Akintola played in the 10, and Britt Asumbalonga played at striker. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. For me, this match was all about the newcomers. For a lot of players on this team, Di Lorenzo, Mari Rui, Lobotka, and Gisa Osman, we already know what we're going to get from them. It's the new guys that we need to test out and see how they will interact with the players who were already here. So let's start with Leo Ostegaard, who made his first appearance for Napoli since officially joining Napoli in the middle of July. That was convenient since we just published our Ostegaard player profile episode the day before. Other than Meret, Ostegaard was the only Napoli player to play the full 90 minutes, and I thought he played reasonably well for his first match. He was both involved in one of our goals and somewhat at fault for one of the goals we conceded. Ostegaard played the long ball to Cavada on the opening goal of the match. That was actually one of the attributes that Scouted Football talked about in their profile of him and that we talked about in ours. Unfortunately, Ostegaard was largely at fault for the first goal that we conceded. He tried to shepherd the ball out for a goal kick, but the Demir Sport player was able to keep it in. I think it was Yusuf Sadai. I don't think Ostegaard thought Sarai would get to the ball, so he slowed down a little bit when maybe he should not have. Moments later, Meret fouled Balotelli in the area. Now, personally, I don't think that was a foul at all. There was hardly any contact there, and I genuinely believe that if there was VAR, that penalty would not have been given. Now, I've been publicly defending Meret, so you might say that I'm biased on this. To be honest, I'm very much on the fence with him. I'm aware of his shortfalls. He doesn't have good footwork. He's had some concerning back injuries. His confidence is really low, and he does not communicate well. So I understand why a lot of fans want to replace him him, and frankly, I think that's why the staff are trying to replace him as well. I also think that's why Meret has not yet signed his contract, because if Napoli sign a big, as they say, like Kepa or Navas, then Meret will probably request to be sold. That said, I also think he could prove everyone wrong if he's allowed to play on a consistent basis. I know he constantly lost out to Ospina, but I think that was because Ospina was so good, and that doesn't mean that Meret is not good. Now, if we can get another great keeper, I would still support that. Ultimately, I want the best option in goal. But when we start to talk about guys like Neto or Maximiano who ended up at Lazio, then I'm not so sure that they're actually better options than Meret. What really bothers me though, and perhaps it's why I feel the need to defend Meret, is how so many fans are hyper-focusing on any little mistake that he makes just to prove that he's not a good enough keeper. And maybe that's not their intention, but it just feels like people are actively cheering against their own player. It's also a very biased way to present information. So many people were sharing the video of Meret losing the ball in training and Lobotka scoring. I'm not even sure if that was Meret. First people were saying it was him, then they were saying it was Marfella, then they were saying Meret again. But even if it was him... I don't think it's a big deal for a keeper to make a mistake like that in a scrimmage on a reduced pitch because real games are not played on a reduced pitch. But the reason I say it's a biased way to present information is because the same people are not also posting the videos of when Meret does something exceptional. In this match, Meret made an excellent save on a Balotelli free kick that was dipping on its way to the goal, but I didn't see anyone post that video online. I saw lots of videos of Meret fouling Balotelli, but none of that save. So that really bothers me. Now, back to Ostegaard, 
Rafaela Auriemma of Mediaset had some pretty harsh words for Ostegard on Radio Marte. He said Ostegard came from the second division in England, and judging solely on that one mistake, he said that Ostegard is a steady B player. That was Ostegard's first ever match for Napoli, and he's expected to be the fourth option centre back, so to draw that conclusion from a single play in a meaningless friendly is beyond ridiculous. But Auriemma is a journalist who likes to make these controversial statements just for the attention, and to be perfectly honest, with each controversial statement that he makes or attempts to make, I just have less and less regard for his opinions. Let's move on to Gianluca Gaetano next. I was really impressed with his performance. I think the fact that he is still in the squad and getting significant playing time suggests that Spalletti is still considering whether to keep him in the squad. I thought he did a great job of providing a link between the defense and the attack, and he seemed to be very comfortable playing the way Spalletti wants them to play. On a couple of occasions, he was involved in exchanges with Anguissa and others where they played quick one-touch passes to progress the ball forward. And because he's competing for a place in the squad, I thought Gaetano hustled more than most players in the first half. The only other player hustling as much as Gaetano was Politano, who I'll talk about in part two. There was one play where Gaetano pressed the right back, then he chased the ball to the keeper, and then he chased the ball to the left back, who was forced to go long. So that was something that really stood out to me in this match. Our attackers were playing really high, and they were very aggressive in their press, even more than we normally are, so we'll see if that is a regular feature of this year's Napoli. Now, if Gaetano doesn't make the squad, I'll be curious to see where he ends up. Cremonese were reportedly linked to the player who helped them earn promotion to Serie A last season, which I think would be the ideal solution. He has a familiarity with the club, and I think he'd benefit more from playing for a lower-ranking Serie A club than going back down to Serie B. But Cremonese's sporting director, Simone Giacchetta, was on Radio Kiss Kiss, and he said that at the moment, they are not talking to De Laurentiis about the transfer market. So those were the two players I was watching the closest in the first half. Once again, Spalletti made a whole host of changes in the second half. At the back, he only replaced Rachmani with Juan Jesus, but he replaced the entire front six. Stanislav Lobotka came on for Deme, Piotr Zelinski replaced Gaetano, Fabian Ruiz replaced Anguissa, Cavara came on for Elmas, Lozano replaced Politano, and Ambrosino replaced Osimen. Again, I want to focus on the new guys and the players competing for a place in the squad, so let's start with Cavara who continued to impress. I know it's only preseason and we're not exactly playing against the toughest competition, but I think this kid has all the makings to be a star in Serie A. Some players have a magnetic-like attraction to the ball, and Cavada is one of them. It just seems like one way or the other, the ball finds its way to him, and when it does, he's really exciting to watch. He loves to run at defenders and to put himself in a position to shoot. It didn't take him too long to leave his mark on the match. Only 11 minutes into the second half, he played a perfect ball into the area for Chucky Lozano to tap into the back of the goal. That was the classic Insigne Callejon trademark goal. Many Napoli fans were quick to identify that. For me, it was really cool to see that play executed by guys who have not been at Napoli for that long. Cavada only just joined, and Lozano is entering his fourth season, but he's had to share time with Politano. But what was cool for me was the realization that this is not an Insigne Callejon play anymore, but rather simply a Napoli play. In other words, 
it's become a part of our identity. Players will come and go, but apparently the in-swinging cross from the left wing towards the second post will remain. Now, Cavada didn't score any goals in this match, but he came close on a couple of occasions. He had one chance about midway through the second half where he made a gorgeous dribble inside the area, but Ozbir made a fantastic save. Once again, Cavada's quick dribbles were on display almost immediately after he stepped on the pitch. He slalomed through a few players and drew a foul, and right away there was a buzz in the air. He had another chance in the 35th minute of the second half. He cut in from the left, played a quick 1-2 with Fabian, and went for goal, but his low shot was stopped as well. And then late in the match, Lozano picked him out in the area, but he did not connect on the volley, so he certainly had his chances. Now, you might have seen that early in the half, an Adana Demirspor player inadvertently stepped on Cavada's hand as he tried to save the ball from going out for a goal kick. After the match, there were pictures of Cavada's hand that was wrapped in a bandage, but apparently he's going to be fine. Typically, hand injuries don't keep players out. Let's move on to Giuseppe Ambrosino next. I don't have a whole lot to say about Ambrosino's performance on the pitch. There wasn't that much there that stood out to me. It was Spalletti's comments after the match that caught my attention. He said Ambrosino is still a boy and he gave him time so he can see the difference between playing at this level and playing with the Primavera. We also saw Ambrosino get some one-on-one -on -one coaching time with Spalletti after training earlier in the week. So my sense is that they see the potential there and want to develop that, but he's still not quite ready for Serie A. Initially, I was convinced that he would be loaned out, now I'm wondering if they will send him back to the Primavera for another season. That way he will continue to play regularly, importantly he can continue to train with the senior team, and he can be called up at any time if he is needed. We'll close part 1 with two players who made only brief appearances off the bench. About midway through the half, Spalletti replaced Di Lorenzo with Alessio Zerbin, which makes me wonder whether Spalletti is converting Zerbin into a right back. Now, he moved Zerbin to that position against Bassa Anaune, but I didn't think too much of it because the ball barely left the Anaune half in that match, so it was like he was playing as a winger. Now, it is possible that Spalletti only used Zerbin there because Alessandro Zanoli was not available. Zanoli was one of five players who sat this match out. The other players were Hubert Idasiak, Kim Min-Jae, Aramunas, and Andrea Petania. Now, Kim didn't play because he had just arrived at Napoli. I suspect and hope that Petania and Unas didn't play because they are on the verge of being sold. Now, I'm not entirely sure about Idasiak and Zanoli. Perhaps they are on the verge of being loaned out. I think Idasiak at best is a third keeper this season. I think the focus at the moment is on the second keeper, maybe the first keeper, depending on who we're able to bring in. It seems like Contini could be sold or loaned out. That leaves the third keeper position to either Idasiak or Marfella. I think Idasiak is the better goalkeeper, but that could actually be a reason to loan him out. We know that the third keeper will hardly play, so a loan could well be better for his development. The same might be the case for Zanoli if Spalletti is indeed considering playing Zerbin as a right-back. For that reason, I think the squad list for the friendly against Mallorca on Sunday will be very telling. If Zanoli is in the squad, then perhaps he had a minor injury and was kept out of this match for precautionary reasons. If he's not in the squad, then he may have a more serious injury, or he could be on the verge of a move. In either case, Zerbin could become the backup right-back. 
If that's the case, then I think Zerbin has a bit of work to do. He'll need some time to adapt to the new role. Fullbacks are very attack-minded these days, so he already has that in his artillery, given his experience as a winger. The part of his game he'll have to improve upon is his defending. There were two occasions in this match where he got caught high up the pitch, and Adana were able to counter. The last player I want to talk about is Matias Oliveira. He replaced Mario Rui about midway through the half as well. Because they've been carefully nursing his knee strain, this was Oliveira's first appearance in a Napoli shirt. Unfortunately, his most notable play was the penalty he conceded for jumping on the back of Yusuf Sarai, which I think was a pretty clumsy challenge. But again, it was his first match, so I'm not going to read too much into it. Other than that, I think he played well enough. Oliveira gave his first conference on Friday where he was asked a variety of questions including about wearing Matic Hamsik's number 17, Uruguayan players that have played for Napoli in the past like Cavani, Gargano, Boliasino, and playing with Cavada on the left, but what stood out to me the most was that he just wants to help the team in any way that he can. I'm getting a strong sense from both Mario Rui and Oliveira that, while they both want to be starters obviously, they still recognize that they are teammates. At the moment, Mario Rui is still the first choice for a variety of reasons. Oliveira is new, he needs some time to learn the system, he only just recovered from his knee injury, and I'm not sure if it matters much to Spalletti, but Mario Rui, il professore, has really become a fan favorite. I think they will continue to push each other to be better, which can only be a good thing, and with three competitions, I think there will be plenty of minutes to go around. So that'll do for part one. In part two, we'll talk about some of the other storylines in and around this match. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Forza Napoli pod. It's entirely voluntary, there are no strings attached, but it does help us to improve the show and ensure that we're providing quality content. Let's continue with the match against Adana Demirspor. There were a few other stories within the match that I wanted to comment on, and then I'll touch on some off-the-field stuff. One thing that stood out to me was that an unintended consequence of not having players like Insignia and Mertens in the squad is that we no longer have a free-kick specialist. Insignia was always the go-to, and we know how deadly Mertens was from a certain distance and from certain areas on the pitch, in this match, we saw Mario Rui and Cavada take a few of the free kicks. I think Mario Rui stands over the ball often because we don't have too many left-footed players in the squad. I don't mind if he takes free kicks where he's crossing the ball into the area, or if he's running a set piece like the one where Rachmani hit the crossbar, but we definitely don't want Mario Rui going direct for goal because, let's face it, he doesn't hit the target that often. If I had to guess, Cavada will probably be the guy. He and Eli Felmes were hitting some bangers in training on Thursday, and at the end of last season, Angisa posted a video of himself smashing free kicks into the top corner in training as well, but taking free kicks in a live match is very different from training, so that's something to keep an eye on. Another situation to keep an eye on is who will be the starting right winger. As much as I don't want to start the Lozano-Politano debate again, 
it seems likely that they will compete again for the starting role. I think Lozano is the more likely to be the starter this season for a couple of reasons. One is that the club could look to sell him next season, so by playing him regularly we could drive up his value. Of course, that would simultaneously decrease the value of Matteo Politano. Both of them are under contract for two more seasons, so they'll each have one season left by the end of 2223. Another reason I think Lozano is favored at the moment is because Politano requested a move through his agent Mario Giuffredi. I think if Valencia wasn't in such a bad financial situation, that move might have already happened. But judging from Spalletti's comments in the media, I think Spalletti was a little offended by their request. He certainly seemed to be a bit defensive. But the reason I say the position is up for grabs is because I've actually been really impressed with Politano's play so far in the preseason. I think he's gone about his business in a very professional manner. As I said in part one, other than Gaetano, I don't think anyone hustled more than Politano did in the first half. Like Cavada on the left, Politano is eager to run at defenders, cut into the middle, and go for goal. He scored that way against Basanaune and Perugia, and nearly scored again in this match, but his shot hit the outside of the goal. At the same time, I wonder if perhaps Politano is a little too similar to Cavada. I don't know if you want both of your wingers constantly doing the exact same thing. I suspect that Spalletti will not play them together often, and since I think Cavada will be the starting left winger, that's another reason Lozano might be the starter on the right. Now, if Politano does get the occasional start, then I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Elmas or maybe Zerbin on the left wing should he make the squad. Obviously, Lozano offers more pace than Politano does. I mentioned the Insignia Callejon connection that we saw with Cavada. That pace certainly helps him make that run behind the back line towards the second post, and I do like the frightening pace we'd have in the attack with a front three of Cavada, Osimen, and Lozano. Okay, let's move to the off-the-field stories. The one that got the most attention, and deservedly so, was the price to watch this match both online and in person. I suspect that's why De Laurentiis once again did not show his face. He sent Edo to watch this match instead. The match was available on Sky Sport and Facebook for about 10 euros, which was 12 Canadian dollars for me. Just to put that into perspective, Fubo TV owns the rights to Serie A in Canada, and they charge $20 a month, and that gets you access to all Serie A matches, all Premier League matches, and a whole bunch of other content. Paramount charges a similar price in the US, actually they're even cheaper. Now I know DAZN is more expensive in Italy, they charge something like 30 or 40 euros a month, which is robbery for the quality of service that they provide there, but even then, that gets you roughly 40 matches a month. So to pay $12 for a friendly match is beyond ridiculous. And then, that price didn't exactly get you the most professional broadcast. The broadcast was hosted by Fuse Gamer and a few others. I don't know if they were also from YouTube. Now don't get me wrong, as a content producer, I love that the club is engaging with content producers and involving them. But when you're paying for a service... You don't really want to see your host giggling on camera after they give Victor Osimhen a high five. You do want something a little bit more professional. That stuff is good for the training sessions, like Calcio Napoli 24 did with Malato del Napoli and Shalaboom. 
Likewise, the ticket prices for this match were 30 euros to sit in the Curve and Distinti and 40 euros to sit in the Tribune. Again, that is very expensive for a friendly match, and I think Napoli fans responded to that. Only about a thousand people paid to watch the match on Facebook, compared to about 80,000 people who watched the previous matches on Facebook for free. Thank you to Sereno, by the way, from the Napoli Club Toronto for those stats. Meanwhile, at the stadium, only 700 tickets were sold out of the 5,000 that were made available by the municipality. Unfortunately, it seems like the prices will be the same for the three remaining friendlies at Castel di Sangro. Okay, let's talk about something a little less controversial next, which is the new kits. The 2022-23 home and away kits were released on the morning of the Adana Demri Spore match. The home shirt is the classic Napoli blue. I saw some people saying it looks exactly the same as last year's kits. I don't really know what people are expecting. Every club has their traditional shirt. Inter have their black and blue stripes. Milan have black and red. Juve black and white. The two Roman clubs have their distinct colors. You can only alter those shirts so much, and Napoli did that. The two most obvious changes were the sleeves and the pattern on the material. On the home shirt, the sleeves transition from black to blue to go along with the black neckline. On the home kit, they transition from blue to white. Both shirts feature a pattern of small Napoli logos embossed on the material. Now, I saw some people on social media questioning whether that would be allowed because last season, Venezia were forced to modify their shirt. They had both a Venezia logo and the word Venezia written across the chest, but apparently you're only allowed to have one logo on the front of the shirt. Presumably, the club would have checked with the league first on this, but I guess we'll find out soon enough. Finally, a more subtle change is we've changed from a V-neck to a crew neck. Now, the away shirt seems to be the most popular amongst fans. Call me a traditionalist, but personally, I still prefer the home shirt. Either way, I think the shirts turned out really, really nice. Okay, the last thing I want to comment on is Mario Balotelli. He's always been very open and honest about his dream of playing for Napoli. He reiterated that in his post-match interview. He said he respects De Laurentiis a lot, but he thinks he's the reason why the move never happened. Back in 2020, Balotelli did an interview with Fabio Cannavaro where Balotelli revealed that his daughter was and remains a die-hard Napoli fan. Even when he was at Brescia, she refused to cheer for Brescia, she remained loyal to Napoli. He also said after this match that he told Spalletti that if he needs a striker, he is available. I personally would absolutely love for Napoli to sign Balotelli, but I fear if it hasn't happened by now, then it probably never will. He's 31 years old now, which is on the wrong side of the fence as far as De Laurentiis is concerned, but it would be really beautiful if he joined Napoli, and even more beautiful if he delivered a Scudetto. He's had a difficult career, in part because of his attitude and his temper, but he's also had to deal with a lot, particularly with racism at football stadiums, and that continues to this day. He is an underdog, much like Napoli, and I think he would be the perfect fit for this club if he were to accept a role as a backup. But for Balotelli and Napoli fans alike, I think this is nothing more than a dream. 
That will do for our review of Napoli Adana Demirspor. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fisket D5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Forza Napoli Pod. Be sure to check out our Twitter page for our latest Napolitan song of the week. This week's song is Nini Yevulese. In his biography on Rocket.it, Nini described himself as a multi-instrumentalist with vast experience on the bone-breaking stages of the peninsula. He adds that he's a collaborator of various indie campana realities who has decided to tell his own stories through his songwriting. He said he's been helped by musicians with deep love and passion for music who have embellished delicate compositions that open their being to the listener. On this song in particular, he says Yevulesa asks to let oneself go to the simplest feelings and desires, which however simple, represent the very essence of feeling human. So be sure to check that out. I will be back next week with a special guest to profile our newest signing, Kim Min Jae. But until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, e sempre Forza Napoli. Podcast Network.